Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I am your host, Brady Josephson, and I hope you had a wonderful holiday, a Merry Christmas, and a happy Boxing Day. One of the best parts about being Canadian is you get to celebrate Boxing Day. Anyways, on today's show, I am joined by two data scientists from Classy, the online giving platform, who recently crossed a billion dollars in total funds raised, which is pretty amazing. Uh, on the episode, I chat with Paige Piccinini and Ben Cipollini, so a couple of good Swedish names there. Bada-bing, that's a joke. Uh, we talk about a report that they spearheaded called The State of Modern Philanthropy, which looked at over $300 million in giving. And we discuss things like Giving Tuesday, year-end giving, peer-to-peer fundraising, recurring giving, and more, as well as what does it mean to be a data scientist and how did they end up in the generosity space and working at Classy. So thank you for tuning in and hopefully you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go I said welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Hi, Ben and Paige. Thanks, you both, for coming on the show. A pleasure. Hey. So we'll see how this, ha- how this goes, interviewing two people. Uh, this is really putting me to the test, but uh, we'll have twice the brain power on the other side. Right. We pulled it off at NIO Summit. I feel like we can do it again here. Yeah, and I'm going to reuse a few of those jokes, so don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> so now you are both data scientists at Classy. And so if listeners are kind of like me and they're just like picturing you in lab coats and beakers and like doing weird stuff, maybe like break this down for us. Like what do data scientists actually do? What does it mean? Right. So first of all, we're in California, so there's no lab coats. It's all short and <laughs> So thank you for that. All right. Um, but I actually appreciate the, the visual. It makes us feel powerful and strong. I think <laughs> data science is more simple than you think. It's really a, just a mix between looking for trends in data, which we call data intelligence, uh, and building predictive models uh, from our data with a, a healthy amount of like assessing the data, cleaning the data, kind of to pull it all together. And, and then we use that to do a fair bit of leadership, doing perspective leadership to understand our product or thought leadership in the space. Hey, this is where we think things should go and publishing based cool. on those. Okay. Yeah, that sounds a lot more simple and straightforward. Uh, although, do you use beakers at all? Are beakers involved? Sadly, no. Uh, like maybe just drink coffee out of a beaker or something. I think that'd be cool. Um, okay. So then how did you each end up at Classy? Yeah, I actually came to Classy about two and a half years ago from being at a nonprofit. Hmm. So I had a friend in grad school who uh, we were buddies. We go work out at the gym, and suddenly one day he kind of just disappeared. And I went to do some research and found out he started a nonprofit um, in ed- educational technology to bring the Khan Academy experience to people who don't have internet access. Hmm. I, th- I thought this was cool. I jumped in there, you know, I wound up going to prisons and bringing educational materials there. But I just, I think I like the, I didn't like the business model of, of trying to get grants and having someone to answer to. I wanted to have a self-service business model. Hmm. So when I saw the opportunity at Classy, uh, it's a for-profit, a, a social enterprise serving nonprofits, I felt like that was the right fit for me. So I kind of jumped on it there. Cool. And Paige, what about you? Uh, yeah, before I came to Classy, I was actually in academia. 
Um, and so I was working in a lab that was with a hospital working on Huntington's disease. And so mm. it was a good way to be able to do research, which I really enjoyed. Um, and also feeling like there was an impact. But at the same time, um, a lot of aspects of academic research are really slow and really limited by what funds are available and other requirements. And so when I decided to make the transition to industry, I still wanted to be able to feel like I was doing some good and giving back. Mm. And so Classy was a great way to kind of maintain that personal mission while also feeling like I was helping a lot of different causes at once rather than just focusing on one specifically. Cool. Yeah, very cool. Okay. Well, um, you know, one of the projects that that y'all worked on and that we've talked about before and kind of we connected over was your State of Modern Philanthropy Report. So I, I want to kind of dig into that a little bit. Um, and first, like, w- why do that report in the first place? Like, why, why did you even want to undertake that kind of uh, report? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, our first idea was to do nothing because there's a <laughs> lot of reports already. Um, but we felt like a lot of reports focused on vanity metrics or best practices and really weren't contextual. I, I think we connect, you know, because a lot like next after we think that nonprofit and fundraising optimization is really specific and contextual. And so in the state of modern philanthropy, we want to break down those vanity metrics and high level stats mm-hmm. uh, and, and, give a context for people to make their own decisions. Uh, so we, we were really careful to produce these thought starter questions. So questions for nonprofits to ask themselves, you know, given everything we said, is this relevant to you? Think about trying this or not trying this, just depending on if what we presented is relevant to you and going deep enough into the analytics that people could make those uh, informed decisions. Yeah, that was one of the things that I really liked about um the report is you kind of broke down some different stats, but you've kind of, you focus more on like actionable intelligence. And that's one of yeah. the problems with a lot of those reports, right? It's like 82% of people think this It's like, okay, <laughs> like, cool. <Yeah. laughs> Next stat. Yeah. Like, what do I do with this? Right. And, and we, you know, we produced that worksheet at the beginning to try and be very clear that this is supposed to be actionable, you know, like because classes in the cloud, we, we see all sorts of behaviors. So, even it's, it's kind of a non-starter to give best practices, right? Like there's all the behaviors in there and it's our job to really break it down and, and again, give that context. So that's why I love kind of working with you guys because you guys seem to get that too. And um, can you take us a little bit behind the scenes? Like what goes into a report like that? Like what kind of data did you look at or how did you like accumulate this data? Or like what goes into just producing it? And then I want to talk about a couple of the key highlights. Um, yeah, so I think like, most of it is just so it's all data that was on Classy's platform. Um, so a lot of it is transactional data, so actual donations as well as ticket sales. We have um, both types of services. Um, and then just general campaign data, because there's a lot of different types of campaigns, which is one thing we also wanted to kind of highlight in the report that when we talk about charitable giving, it's not always just a donate now button on a homepage. It can be a lot of different types of campaigns as well. Right. So we wanted to break that down, just talk about of this transactional data and campaign types, what do we see? And then finally, some of these external features, like was it on mobile? What time of year did it happen? Things like that as well to really get a holistic picture of what was going on. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of neat too. Like one of the, the cool things I liked about the report was you obviously have peer-to-peer, which is a big part of what Classy does, but you focused on the breakdown of the value of a one-time donor and recurring donor, which is interesting, but also the value of a fundraiser. And that's something that um, like I worked for a peer-to-peer platform years ago and that was something that I kept preaching to people was like, yes, donor acquisition, cool. And donors, yes. But like, look at how valuable these fundraisers are. And if you can have 
fundraiser retention, like the lifetime value of your fundraiser is huge, but it wasn't really like a common metric. So that's something that you guys focused on, which was kind of neat. Can you unpack that a little bit more about like, is that something that you heard from people or just what the data was so clear, like look at how valuable fundraisers are or why do people ignore some of the other stuff? Yeah. So I think that um, like in like breaking down by like campaign type, we also want to break down how do we actually define a supporter? And cause there are lots of different ways someone can support a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then particularly on our side, there was these, you know, one-time donors or recurring donors and then finally fundraisers. And so one of the biggest stats we were showing was how valuable recurring donors were. But at the same time, we even see that fundraisers are much more valuable than one-time donors. So mm-hmm. they should definitely be, taken into account as well and not just think of, oh, we're really just going for these one-time large donations because that even if that fundraiser only donates themselves $10 to start a fundraising page, they're going to bring in much more than that overall. And so they really should be taken into account as a whole supporter experience. Yeah. And like the the data that you produce in this report or other report, like I think part of the value is helping um, people make decisions, better decisions, or maybe like I'm already sold, but I need some more information to make my boss, you know, understand. And so I think people who are making the argument for peer to peer, if it's always been like one time donations and then people go, oh, but retention rates are so low. Or something, you can point out like, look at how valuable a fundraiser is over their lifetime to our organization and hopefully can help persuade better using data. Right. And <laughs> And I think that call out to retention is awesome, too, because fundraising is not easy. And so those people are highly, highly activated. And Mm -hmm. like, yeah, just retention on that side makes all the sense in the world. They really care about what you're doing. Uh, you mentioned the recurring giving, and I've used that stat of yours that recurring donors are 5.4 times more valuable over their lifetime than one-time donors. So thank you for that stat. <laughs> it's been useful. Uh, but can you talk a little bit more about what you've seen be kind of like recurring donors versus one-time donors in your data? Yeah, I, I love thinking about this stuff and diving deeper into it, you know, partially because it, they're so dramatically more valuable financially. But, but even just diving into some of the basic stats in there. So like the typical return, recurring donor gives 25 bucks. And in that typical case, it only takes one month for a recurring donor to be as valuable as the typical one-time donor. It's Crazy. 50 bucks for one time. That's just one month, right? right. Uh, and that's just out of the box. Then we did a little of our beaker magic. So <laughs> called uh, survival analysis just to look at, Every month after initiation of that subscription, what's the probability that the subscription will successfully recur, right? So you get people dropping out because their credit, they lost their credit card and they cancel it, or they mm-hmm. just decided to cut the subscription. And when you look at that, it's more than half of recurring donors give for more than 12 months, right? Wow. So more than that's year over year retention, and they're giving every month along the way. Yeah. And just compare that to one-time donors where new one-time donors retain at about 18%, right? And they're giving just that one time. Mm-hmm. So it's just dramatically different levels of giving and, and engagement there. Yeah. Yeah. Which is again, part of the big reason for recurring giving. Um, you have a, a section in there on uh, giving Tuesday, which kind of stood out. And uh, I've been in like conversations about the value of Giving Tuesday or not. And I've been labeled a skeptic. I'm not really a skeptic. But uh, anyways, I, I'm interested to talk a little bit about Giving Tuesday and what some of your, your data shows. Because uh, there was some neat stuff in there, kind of like the likelihood for someone to be activated or you looked at the repeat rate of a fundraiser or a donor on Giving Tuesday. Can you talk a little bit more about what um, your data says about Giving Tuesday and those donors? Yeah, well, a, a couple things. One thing is that end of year 
and December 31st and Giving Tuesday, pretty clear that those are two very different donor pools. Uh, actually, Giving Tuesday donors look a lot like your typical day. Uh, uh, so there's a lot of acquisition in typical day. There's a lot of acquisition during Giving Tuesday, but your, your staunch supporters are also coming back. So I think, I think it's in some sense a mistake to associate them together just because they're in the same time of year. Um, I think it's just a huge opportunity for both acquisition uh, as well as kind of retention and, and calls to action. And, and so you're, an, another thing you guys talk about is just, just another opportunity to, to make that call to action because people aren't you know, leveraging that enough. So uh, uh, that's kind of the, the, one of the major takeaways for me. Um, and, and there was something in there about like activation rate, like downstream. So kind of like you, you didn't just look at Giving Tuesday itself, but actually yeah. what happens, you know, in the year after or months after. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, that's one of the ways that Giving Tuesday donors are different from uh, December 31st donors is they're, they're in there to participate more. So they're more likely to become more fundraisers, more likely to give again at another time of year, not just Giving Tuesday. Right. Uh, but some other time engage in a, in another campaign. Um, and even, even over a typical donor, uh, and there's, you know, plus all the social stuff that doing big social channels, uh, coming in as well. So just lots of ways to really re-engage those giving Tuesday donors. Um, and yeah, just that opportunity for retention. Yeah. I think that's a neat way to think about it. It's kind of like the different donor types, which your data kind of pours out. So then it's not so much like December 31st, Giving Tuesday, which is one of the reasons why I got labeled a skeptic was just saying our client data that raises X number more on December 31st. And then when we look at the amount of time and attention in terms of content and resources focused on nonprofits, and then even just volume, the number of emails or marketing that nonprofits do, they don't do as much. And there's not as much focus on a day that is like three times more valuable to our donors. So that's what we were just saying. It's not like Giving Tuesday is not valuable. It is. Right. It's just that there was like a disproportionate amount of focus on it. And it should be both. It should be both and not either or. It should be both. And I think, I think there's like, um, an exogenous source for the de- December 31st date because, you know, we, I think we all know that a big piece of that is the change in the tax years, right? So people are, are going to do that. I think the focus on giving Tuesday and getting them activated for your cause, you know, it, it, uh, is a huge opportunity. It's uh, just an awakening for the space and reaching people that you might not have otherwise and that huge influx of people. Um, so yeah, I think that's why we focus on it is because it's, I think to the point of more actionable, right? Yeah. 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 And, um, I mean, I still think it, if we had a day of giving, we should have it in the spring, but that's fine. That's another conversation. No, no, uh, I, want, I want to make that this conversation. <laughs> I want to talk more about your, your spring idea for Giving Tuesday. Well, it's just it's preposterous the, to me. <laughs> preposterous to you? But I want to give it a chance. Oh, well, I mean, that ship sailed. It's not going to happen. It was just like <laughs> if you sat down and said, we want to create a day of giving to help all nonprofits, uh, I don't think you would put it in the most uh, valuable month where we have so many other things working for us like Thanksgiving, like tax, like uh, people feeling guilty, like our historical year-end patterns. Like December has always been a profitable month but before Giving Tuesday. But spring or some area where like we don't command market, where we are weak is where we could use all this influx of time and attention. That's kind of 
That's the point around spring, which we'll never find out, I don't think, at this point. So it's kind of a moot argument, but that's, that's right. one idea. Yeah, it, I, love, I love thinking about that stuff. I do, I do appreciate the point of the guilt. I mean, that's the origins of Giving Tuesday, right, is the you know, Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and now you're going to feel guilty. So let's have a call <laughs> action make something happen, which is what, why it makes all the sense in the world to me. Meanwhile, in the spring, you're outside and you're just having fun or maybe you're hibernating still. I don't know. So interesting to hear the ideas. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So and it'll be like a never ending debate because I don't know if we can ever solve it. Hey, everyone, this is Brady back to the episode in a second. But who doesn't love taking tests? Well, that's what you'll have to do if you take one of our in-person workshops. The advantage is you'll actually get fully certified in something like Facebook advertising or email fundraising optimization or donation and landing page optimization. We've got these full one-day workshops where you can really get your hands dirty and dig into these subjects, and we'll share kind of all of our research and case studies with you. If you want to learn more about this opportunity and when the next one is and where it might be near you, you can do that at nextafter.com slash training. That is nextafter.com slash training. Back to the show. You know, having a couple data scientists on staff is great, and you guys have so much data <laughs> to collect, and it's got to be kind of uh, tricky to kind of wade through. But, like, h- how are you using that data to kind of improve your products? Or are you, like, running tests all the time to see what people do? Or, like, how do you determine which features are needed? Like, can you share a little bit more about maybe not like, oh, we produce these big studies, but, like, what's more of the day-to-day application of how you're using data within the product? So I think one of the big things that we're really focused on is just kind of see what opportunities are in the data. And so we really want to understand, you know, how are different features performing and like where are there areas where, you know, certain features correlate better with certain campaign success. And so from there, we can kind of write up these analyses or reports about how certain features are doing. And we're able to share those insights with our product managers and also with um, other engineers, figure out how we can then work from there to build new products. Um, So, for example, with this big recurring result, we found that made it pretty clear that, like, any future work should also look at recurring and how better to leverage a recurring program in the platform. Um, And so we've been working with both our product and engineering teams to really make that a core feature. So then other nonprofits um, who are coming to Glassy can more easily, you know, build out different types of recurring plans or feature it more clearly on their donation page. Uh, so yeah, I'd say that our biggest thing is probably working on this opportunity assessment. And I should also say that we have, there's more than just the two of us. We're like a pretty <laughs> size team now. Um, so we have a lot of different uh, minds working on all the different aspects of the product to see where we can best expand. You mean it's not just you two working on everything? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that's what's so cool or what I think is the big opportunity. And again, I worked for a technology company for a while and was so neat was thinking like, you know, next after we do tons of experimentation and research, but we're limited to how many clients we have and their volume. So we can only do an experiment across X number of clients and how many visits, whereas a product like Classy, which so many people use, you know, if you wanted to take an insight like um, a recurring giving prompt at the one-time point of donation, which proved to be successful in our limited case, you know, you could run that across 
a thousand organizations in an afternoon or something, you know, and have it have it validate or not and kind of bake it into the product where it's an option. Like, do you want to use this option? And like, that's what's so cool about, um, you know, the work that you guys are doing at, at scale. You can scale some of these things across multiple clients or bake in not just best practices, but like proven practices. And that's what I think is so neat about having some data scientists on on staff is that you can actually do that stuff. Definitely. And I think it's one of the exciting things for us in becoming more familiar with the experiments that you do run so that within the product, we can leverage some of those ideas. If it's not the results, even the idea of just running a test and and running that optimization, I think is something that this space is a little bit behind on in other spaces. Um, Yeah, so huge opportunity there. uh, and, And I love thinking about that and pushing for those kinds of things. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the trick too is, is, you know, it's easy for us to do a test with one client or two clients and we can highly customize it and we don't have to worry about, you know, scaling it across the thousand and different time zones and language. You know, there's so many more variables that go into product that I think a lot of times people don't understand. Like, oh, why can't they just do this? It's like, well, there's right. a lot of, right. a lot of I mean, stuff back, going on. Right. Back to that idea of context and, you know, there are limited things that we can roll out across the platform and have confidence that it will generalize to everybody. Right. And so it becomes a balance of, making options available to people and having people understand what types of optimizations they could run to figure out if this makes sense for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's got to be the trick is how do you build a product that's kind of out of the box, a little foolproof so that, you know, a mom and pop shop who knows nothing has a great page, but also the sophisticated marketer who's trying to do like bells and whistles and run tests also. And those are two very different customers with different needs. And, you know, it's a tough it's a tough build for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, I, and I think, not to sing our own praises, but I think we try <laughs> to walk that line and like we have the in-depth custom HTML for the power user, but, you know, some out-of-the-box stuff for your mom and pop shop, let's say. Yeah. yeah. Cool. cool. All right. So I want to shift now to just kind of maybe your own perspectives uh, on, on generosity. This is the generosity freak show after all. So I'd be interested to know how you each define uh, generosity. Uh, <laughs> so, I don't know. I balk at questions like this. I'm probably going to make things too complex. <laughs> uh, this is like my MO. When I think of generosity, I think of giving when the, the cost of giving is high to you. So, it's something that hmm. describes an action or a person, not so much to do with the outcome. So, generosity could be meaningful, hmm. like when the utility is high for others, or it could be meaningless, you know, when you when you the utility is low for others so more on the action side i like that that's that's one of the best that's one of the best different answers uh we've had so far on the podcast so Paige, now you got to follow that up <laughs> yeah mine's like pretty simple it's basically just yeah i'd say um for me generosity is just giving back and it's like a pretty like there's a w- many ways to give back um and then in some way that doesn't directly benefit you so presumably there's some part of altruism or selflessness that's in there, um, which may or may not have a huge impact. So I think impact's a whole separate thing, but just in terms of what generosity is, I feel like it's really just. <laughs> See, this is why we work so well There together. you go. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then we could have the never-ending debate of can you actually, truly um, make, a, make a gift or give to someone 
uh, in a purely altruistic way and not receive anything. And it's like a never-ending debate because <laughs> yes and no, and you can't settle it. So uh, we right. won't have that. That's another one that we can't solve. Um, so kind of based on your definitions of generosity or just kind of the wider scope of generosity, what what are some ideas or uh, things that you think we can do, whether it's classy or us or people listening, what can we do to improve and grow and kind of optimize generosity? So for me, I think it's about really creating more opportunities um, because I think a lot of people view giving as being just one thing. So they may think like, oh, I have to have a lot of money or I have to have a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's really just making it clear and spreading message about there's many ways to do this. And so on a monetary basis, this could be, oh, you don't have to give some giant donation at once. You could give some small amount every month um, or as you can possible. Same with time, like giving time isn't always volunteering on a Saturday. It can be things you do from your own home. So for me, I think it's more about finding ways to incorporate the most number of people um, that accommodates different people's abilities and not just focusing on there's only two ways someone could give or be generous. Right. Yeah. Cool. And for me, an, another kind of, I got to think deeply about this. I want to <laughs> give the right answer, but like, I think a, a big chunk of the nonprofit world is your emotion, right? And what you bring to the table. And I think balancing that with intelligence and business, uh, I think is the big opportunity. I think that's, that's true in, you know, acquisition, but so get people in through the emotions and hooking them in and, and give through emotion, but follow it up with, you know, smart. How do you, how do you use this? Or is this the right time? Or is this the right way to give? Mm -hmm. Or even saying like, you know, this is not the right opportunity, even though I feel it, I'm going to wait until I find the right organization or or whatever. Like that intelligence behind it. Uh, is the optimization I want to make. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point too. And and even like using what we know even about like human behaviors to shape the emotion side. I think, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes people think it's manipulative or something, but like we know, you know, certain stories evoke different emotions and certain feelings lead to more generosity than others. And so like if we know that or we have research that backs it, then like our job as fundraiser and marketer should be to evoke those emotions. And how do we do that yeah. through our content and story? And it's being smart. Yeah, and, and I think also following up truly on those stories and emotions that you're evoking, right? Yeah. Evoke them if it relates to what you're really doing. Like right. that's totally that's right. You're connecting them to your cause and follow it up with emotional stories and impact as well to to make it real. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you both so much for taking some time and trying to unpack some very uh, high-level stuff and your data scientism. Um, Where where can people learn a little bit more about uh, Classy or the state of modern philanthropy or just you guys? Awesome. Yeah, I tend to push people to our blog. Uh, So classy.org slash blog. Uh, they'll have all sorts of great content up there, including State of Modern Philanthropy, including our blog posts on Giving Tuesday, disaster relief, what's happening on the platform, milestones that we hit, for example, uh, the fact that we're going to be hitting and we may have already hit a <laughs> billion dollars on our platform. Wow. So super exciting stuff like that. You get to see all that on the blog. So I just send everybody there. Awesome. Well, thanks again and uh, keep up the great work. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call. 
All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Paige and Ben. And be sure to check out the State of Modern Philanthropy report. Uh, I found it incredibly useful, especially looking at those activity and engagement rates of kind of how people on Giving Tuesday are more active throughout the year compared to maybe year-end donors. Uh, that's an interesting data point. And then the information that they have on kind of activation, both in terms of running campaigns and peer-to-peer, as well as giving one time and recurring. It's an interesting analysis, and you don't often see that from a lot of other products platforms. So I found the report very valuable. I used some of their recurring statistics and Paige and Ben were actually very handy in giving me some of those statistics to use in our recurring giving report. So uh, if you like data, if you like nerding out on that type of stuff, uh, it's a cool report and you can check it out on classy.org. So thank you again for listening and we will see you next week. Hey, this is Brady, and I just want to say thank you for listening to the Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all future episodes, please be sure to subscribe at generosityfreakshow.com, or you can just search the Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have comments, questions, feedback, you can email us at podcast at next after. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Generosity Freak Show is produced by Next After, where I work. It- Next After is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising. And our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us and what we're up to and see our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host, Tim Kuchuriak, and our amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill. So many, many thanks to them. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.